Ali Webb is the founder of Drybar, the popular chain of hair salons specializing exclusively in blowouts. No cuts, no color, just blowouts. Ali started her career in PR, but soon transitioned to training as a hairstylist, sharpening her skills under the late, great celebrity stylist John Sahag. She struggled with her extremely curly, frizzy hair and was always searching for a great blowout, but was often disappointed with the two available options. An overpriced blowout at a traditional salon or a less than desirable experience at a discount chain. Hence, Drybar was born, becoming an instant success. In this episode of the Ivy Podcast, we'll learn from Ellie about how to take a startup or side gig to the next level and how connecting with others is the key to winning in the marketplace. This episode of the Ivy Podcast is presented by Smartwater. What makes Smartwater so smart? It starts with a little inspiration from the clouds, nature's purest source of water. Smartwater copies those puffy white clouds in creating vapor distilled purity, pure perfection. Smartwater also has electrolytes, which helps give it that clean, crisp taste. Clouds will always be the inspiration, since the water is vapor distilled for purity. Purity you can taste, hydration you can feel. Choose Smartwater or Smartwater Sparkling today and at your local retailer. I am the editor-in-chief of Millennial Magazine, and we love the Ivy community because we partner on events. I come out, I moderate, I love the community. I love the quality of content uh, that they're able to program. And like tonight, Ideas Night, we have an amazing guest. Ali Webb is a blow-dry maven, but in addition to that, she's also the founder of Dry Bar. And before becoming a full-time mom to her beautiful sons, Grant and Kit, Allie had a career in public relations, working with clients such as Faith Hill, Paul McCartney, Keith Urban, so some pretty big people. Uh, she's also a professional hairstylist by trade, having trained with uh, Tony and Guy, and spent several years working in fashion in New York. In 2008, she began a side business called Straight at Home, which provided in-home blowouts uh, on referral basis in LA. And then when her business and popularity quickly grew, she needed to do something to expand that business, so she started Dry Bar. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome Miss Allie Webb. Yeah, it was me. Hi. Hi. Oh, that's better. Love that jacket. Thank you. <laughs> All right, Ellie. So let's just start from the beginning. Tell us how you got into Dry Bar. How did that idea come, come to fruition? <clears throat> well, I always say that the whole idea really started with the fact that I have naturally very curly hair. And from the time I was a little kid, I was literally a little like six, seven year old. I hated my curly, frizzy hair. And I used to beg my mom to blow out my hair. And then I clocked hundreds of hours in my bathroom <laughs> in high school trying to figure it out and I couldn't crack the code and I was so mystified how like I'm dating myself but like Christy Brinkley and you know Cindy Crawford who were the big models at that time like how did they, how did they get their hair so mm -hmm. bouncy and pretty and straight and I couldn't figure it out so I think that's when the seed was potentially planted um, you know and fast forward to not knowing what I, what, I, what I wanted to do outside after college or after high school and I went to college for a minute and that wasn't the right place for me. And I really bounced around, <laughs> not to say there's anything wrong with college. It just wasn't the right path for me. And I really struggled, you know, as a, as a young adult trying to find, you know, my passion and what I loved and what I wanted to do. And, 
you know, I did end up obviously going to beauty school, which is what I really loved. And then got married, became a stay-at-home mom. I was living in New York City at the time, and then I moved to L.A. Um, and had my kids. And about the time my kids were, gosh, like three and five, I got kind of the itch to get back out there and get away from them. Just kidding. I love my kids. <laughs> They're going to hear me say, tell that story one day, and it's going to not go over well. Anyways, um, but I just wanted to do something for myself. And I, because I had spent so many years in, the, in working in professional salons and, and being a professional hairstylist at that point, um, I, and I wanted to do something in my own terms, I started a mobile business. And it was called Straight at Home. And I was basically running around town blow-drying all my mommy friends. And for the few guys that are in the audience, a blowout is basically, if you don't know, it's like, <laughs> because by the way, my two business partners are my brother and my husband, who are bald, by the way. And didn't, <laughs> so the whole hair thing was very lost on them. But guys always are like, what the hell is a blowout? Yeah. Um, anyways, it's the styling part of when you go to a salon. <laughs> And I feel like there's mostly women here, so hopefully you guys know. Anyways, um, I, so I started this mobile business, and it took off, and it was getting... I was so busy, and I was only charging $40 to go to women's homes. And I realized that, you know, there was not enough of me to go around and kind of came to a fork in the road and was like, do I expand this mobily and bring on other hairstylists to grow this mobile business or open an actual brick and mortar? And my brother and my husband were kind of watching this business from the sidelines, and I, you know, went to my brother and said, I think I should, you know, open an actual location, but didn't know the first thing about raising money and finding a space and all of that. And, and he was willing to put up the money for that first location. And he always says he didn't think he'd ever see that money again. <laughs> he was wrong. Um, and so we, we opened, I mean, there's a lot of in between, but we opened that first location in uh, 2010, eight years ago now. And now we have 92 locations wow. eight years later. Congratulations. Yeah. That's incredible. <laughs> so you spent all this time in fashion and PR, and that kind of became a bit of a comfort zone just in being a, a secured job that you right. had. So what was it like to, to go through that transition of leaving something that was security and moving into this unknown and kind of following that passion but having a lot of risk at play? Yeah, I mean, I think that... You know, I'm sure it's different for everybody at different phases in their life. I mean, I, I mean, I was lucky when I started Dry Bar that I didn't, I didn't have to work. My husband had a job, a great job, and I was able to, um, you know, be a stay-at-home mom, which I was really so grateful for. Uh, and and again, I, I, I just wanted to start doing something on my own. And 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 maybe you know that's part of it too that I wasn't. It wasn't, it wasn't so much about money for me and being that, that risk of losing, mm. you know, of not having a job, which I know is a real thing. And I talk to entrepreneurs all the time who, you know, want to leave their day job to start this business, but are worried, obviously, that they need money coming in. So, you know, for me, I was, I was lucky in that sense. But I also, I did feel like, and, and this is advice I give entrepreneurs all the time. It's like, if, if dry bar didn't work out, I still would have wanted to be doing something else. I wanted, I loved being a stay-at-home mom, but I was ready to like do something for myself again. And I felt like I would have either started something else or gotten a job. And I think that that's, that's like a, an interesting, you know, crutch, I think. And I think that people get really hung up in that, like, what if it doesn't work and what will I do then? It's like, well, if you're, if you're smart enough to start thinking about starting your own business and to put yourself out there and to take all those risks, 
I'm sure you're smart enough to get a really good job. You know, so to me, it's always like, you know, I'm a big believer in like life is too short and, you know, go for the things that you really want. You at least try, right. you know. For- so let's go back into the mobile business. Let's go back into straight at home. What were those days like for you? You know, were they super active? I mean, obviously you had to outgrow it. So right. give us a little bit of insight into what those early days were like and when you knew it was time to actually evolve into something that was brick and mortar, especially in the digital age. Yeah. Well, it wasn't really, it was kind of the digital it was, age. I don't know, 2010, like, that was it. It was yeah, starting. I don't know. I guess <laughs> I, for me, it was like, I mean, you know, daily candy was like the big, big thing back then. You know, I mean, daily candy, I don't know if you guys remember, but daily candy was like, they used to break like stories on great new businesses and places and we would all go. And they were the first like people to write about us. And I mean, it was like Twitter. There was no, well, I think Instagram was actually starting around that time, but hadn't taken off. And, um, but, but to answer your question, you know, with the mobile business, it was like, it's really interesting how if you kind of pay attention to your like the cues in your life. And for me, it was like, I was getting very busy very quickly, which, you know, it kind of just like kept coming up for me. Like there is no place for these women to go if I'm not doing the hair. I mean, there are certainly women who like me have figured out where to get a blowout, you know, before dry bar, they would go to a cotton color salon and, you know, overpay or, and have the pressure of a stylist trying to get you to get a cut or whatever, or the, sorry, or the, um, you know, the, the, the discount chains, you know, but I realized during the time of my mobile business that there wasn't a great option for women. And that it was like, you know, kind of scratching my head going like, why hasn't somebody done this? You know, why isn't there a place for women to get a great blowout at a great price in a, in a great space? And it, I mean, it just didn't exist. And that's kind of how it all started. Did you bring on any other stylists in the mobile business or was mm-hmm. it just you? It was just me. Okay. Did you so, have a lull in between going from the mobile business into the, the brick and mortar well, where certain I mean, clients were like, why aren't you doing my hair? Well, but the, well, that was my problem was that I was saying no. I got to the point where I was saying no in general more than I was saying yes, because I was still like picking up my kids from preschool at three o'clock. So I was, you know, I could only do a handful of clients a day. And it was like, you know, it was really hustling. I was like driving my Nissanics there all through the Palisades. And I don't really think I made any money because I was only charging $40, but I was burning through gas. And it was like, (laughs) wasn't about the money. Um, And and it's interesting how when you're, I, 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 I love that that's how my business originated because it was, it was built on this thing that I love to do. I was, you know, wanting, I love doing hair. I loved talking to adults again. Um, and, and that's what ultimately like, you know, cause my poor husband, I, he, <laughs> I haven't thought about this in a while, but he would come home from work and I had been with my kids all day and he walked in the door and I was like, I just wanted to talk to an adult. Cause you know, when you, I don't know if anybody has kids here, but when you talk to kids all day, you're like, Oh my God. And so you just start to feel like you need that interaction. And so, um, I don't know. I kind of lost my train. Okay. That's fine. (laughs) So tonight's event, uh, for the evening is called from, from side hustle to success. That's right. And I'm sure there are a lot of people in the audience that might have a side hustle going on. They might have turned their side hustle into their full-time business, but let's take a step back and, and let's look at your wisdom, your advice on what you can offer somebody who's currently in a day job, has a side hustle or has the idea to start a side hustle. What advice do you have for them to turning that into a full-time position? It's a good question. And it's, and I hear it a lot. And I think there are a lot of examples of people who are, 
kind of, you know, doing this business off to the side, but still working in their day job. And I think every situation is different. I mean, I, I, I think my biggest kind of piece of advice is first of all, that you're, you know, that you're, you're going to work a lot if you're in that situation. I mean, even when we were starting dry bar and, you know, I was like taking care of my kids during the day. And then, and, you know, my husband was working, he was a creative director, director at an advertising agency. And that's what he did until like seven or eight o'clock at night. He came home, we got the kids to bed and then we worked on dry bar for the next like five hours with my brother who wasn't there with us, but in, in his house, um, you know, and it was like this, like, you know, from like, you know, 10 o'clock until like two in the morning, we were all working on it. So we did, we were like that example. And, and that's the thing. It's like, you really have to be willing and anybody who is an entrepreneur knows this, like you just, you have to be willing to, to really put in the work, especially in the beginning. And, and that's exactly what we did. I mean, we were working on it when we had time when we couldn't work, you know, Cameron, my husband couldn't work on it during the day at his, at his day job. He had so much other work. I was still running my mobile business and taking care of my kids. And so, you know, you have to find that, that time and you just, you just do. And sometimes it means, you know, working really late. And so I think that's, that's part of it, you know, and I think deciding to quit your job, you know, I, I think you, you kind of set yourself up for that, you know, by fi finding the right people and, and, you know, leveraging your network and finding people that potentially want to get involved or help you. I mean, I always tell people that you'd be, so, you'd be so surprised how many people like are in your network of friends that like somebody is a lawyer and somebody does this and that. And then they, you can, you can say, Hey, can you, can you help me? Like, you know, make heads or tails of these, this like contract, you know, until you have a bona fide lawyer, you know, right. and there's a lot of ways that you can be kind of scrappy. I think when you're first starting until you get up on your feet. Yeah. I like that you mentioned that you're working with your family. So what is that like? Because working with family is not easy. Rainbows and sunshine. <laughs> but when did all you realize, when did you realize that collectively you had all of these talents to really fortify your business? You had right. your brother, your sister-in-law, your husband, coming together to actually help create what was a concept into a reality. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's where, you know, whether it's, you know, in my case, it was my family and my brother and I have always been really close and, and we did just that. I mean, we utilized all of our skill sets. And I think that's a huge part of our success is that, you know, we all very much have always stayed in our lane. I mean, my brother was the business side. He still is the business side <laughs> of things. And my husband's the creative, you know, all the branding, all that. And I was the hair. So the three of us coming together was this kind of magical thing that happened and we didn't have to really pay ourselves. And, you know, it was like, it was, it was so great. And so when you have, you know, wh whether you have that with your family or just, you know, people that you trust and everyone that kind of locks arm, locks arm on that, that notion that, you know, we're all just going to work really hard. We're going to trust each other. You know, we're not, we're not, this isn't about the money at first, you know, and finding and utilizing people that have a different skill set than you. And I think that's a really, that has been interesting to me as I've watched friends and other people who have started their business who don't recognize the fact that like they are really good at one piece of their business, but not all of the pieces and aren't willing to, you know, offset that with somebody else, which, right. you know, for me, I think I, I knew that I didn't, there was a lot of things I didn't know about business and raising money and lease negotiations and all of that stuff that I didn't, like to do, didn't want to do and wasn't good at, you know, and being able to recognize that I think is something 
that is, is essential when you're starting your business. Like you can't possibly be good at everything, right. you know, and, that, and that's where, you know, I, we were very lucky. And I, and again, I feel like the stars really aligned for us in this business. And it was like, you know, I mean, it, it is, sometimes it is about being in the right place at the right time and, um, and a good idea and a little bit of luck and a lot of hard work. So some people would love to be able to work with their family. They just can't deal with the family, right? Oh, so, I get that. So what are some of those direct <laughs> challenges that either used to come up, continue to come up that you... Well, like in the early with? days, and like I said, Cameron, my husband, was is is creative and branding, and my my brother was, you know, the business side of things. And I, in those early days, which I haven't really thought about in a while, but when Cameron was working on the website at like 11 o'clock at night and he would show me something and I'd be like, that looks great, babe. And then he'd be like, okay, show Michael. And Michael would look at it and he'd be like, well, I don't know. And when he does go, and then I'd go back to Cam and be like, Michael said, and then Cam would be like, what the fuck? Like, he's wrong. You know? And I'm like, you know, that happens. Um, so I was like, um, you guys, you have to talk to each other. I cannot be the go between. And that was like, I mean, we, we always still talk about that because it was such a funny, like, why am I in between you two, you know, and, and then you guys need to talk and figure this out. And then it would be great. And, and they have such a great mutual respect for each other that, it, you know, it was much better. But that was just like, you know, one of those small hurdles that we recognize very early. And, and, and that is a really important thing to figuring out how you work with your part, what's the best way to work with your partners and, you know, what, what you need from each other. And, you know, I just, I don't know if anybody's read the book, Radical Candor. Anybody heard of that? It's a great book. And it talks a lot about how leaders and, you know, bosses like, you know, need to figure out how to talk to you know, the people that they work with, giving them feedback, getting feedback and learning how you best take criticism, you know, and, and like the more you understand that about, I mean, obviously people who work for you, with you and are your partners, I think the, the more successful you are. Interesting. Well, you've made it to 92 locations now, so something's we working. We haven't killed each other yet. Yeah. And we've had some fights. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> one time, our big, one of our biggest fights, <laughs> Ashley, who's sitting in the front row, works at Drybar. And we were, <laughs> we were, we had like big investors coming to our office and my brother and I, and we've had like three, maybe three really big fights. And one of them happened to be on the day, like we had oh, these yeah. massive investors. I mean, we've raised like $72 million and raised a lot of money. And this was a really big round. And <laughs> my brother and I were like screaming at each other in the office and our CEO, that's another story, but we have a professional CEO now, came in our office and he was like, you guys shut up. Like they just got here, you're screaming. And I was like, the one day we have this fight. So, I mean, you know, it, it definitely, it definitely happens. You take the good with the bad. Well, yeah. And that's the hardest. I didn't part. want you to think that like, it's all rainbows and sunshine. It's not. Well, and, and that's just it. Like when you work with family, like their family, even though they're business partners, like it's hard to draw the line between yes. the two. And so you think you can get away with a lot more because they're family. And if there was somehow like not a bloodline relate yeah. relation, you would be able to keep this professionality. But I mean, yeah. guard comes down and you know, the gloves yeah. come out. Yeah. That's <laughs> but, why you hire a professional CEO. Yeah, to have exactly. An adult in the room. Exactly. So, okay. So let's look at where you guys are right now. You've, you're at 92 operations across the country mm -hmm. and you have over 3000 stylists that are working with you, which blows my mind. One, how did you get to 90 locations? 
God, I don't know. <laughs> like that's, that's it. I, mean, I know. It's hard to count to it. I know. It is. It's very. It's it's so mind. It's so mind blowing to me. I mean, you know, my brother and I still text each other all the time. We're like, holy shit, can you believe we did this? You know. I mean, there. We feel like that all the time because it's like it just feels like it. it you know, it just happened in a flash. And you know, we are very lucky to have a lot of great people working with us. And I think that was, that was an interesting insight that, that again, I think my brother had very early on was that we need to start hiring ahead of the curve ahead of what we need and getting people in place that can help us grow and scale this business. I mean, you know, we really bootlegged the first like 10, 11 stores. I mean, we figured it out. We got stores open. I mean, you know, we were, we have learned a lot since then in those early days. It just feels like the process was so expedited. Yeah. Well, you know, there's definitely, you know, over the course of eight years, I mean, we were, we were opening stores so fast for a couple of years. And then I think it was like 2014, like we slowed down and like didn't open stores pretty much for almost a year because we needed to take a step back and put systems and processes and into place. And like, you know, we were kind of ahead of our skis and needed to like slow down and, and do that. And I think that's, you know, that's an important thing for a growing business is to be able to recognize when like things are moving too fast, you know, when you're, you know, we pay very close attention to complaints and any kind of, um, you know, things that we're hearing in the field. And, you know, we try to stay as connected as possible to all that and, and, you know, and, and really staying connected to your business and what's happening, you know, really informs the decisions that you make. And that's why we decided and to, like I said, 2014 to like take a step back, put systems in place. And, you know, it's, it's, I have learned this through lots of therapy. No, just kidding. <laughs> that it's gonna, it's, you know, nothing's ever perfect. And, you know, for me, it's like, these are my babies and it's, you know, it's, it's challenging to, to grow to this number. And, you know, and we worked so hard to keep consistency in place from both like a hairstyling perspective to customer service to cleanliness. And, and it's a lot, you know, and it's, and, and again, I think it just comes back to having really good people in place that, you know, share your passion and, you know, for the business and what we're trying to do. And, you know, and that's how you grow and scale and, you know, people who have experience in, in doing that and, you know, so what does 2018 look like? Will franchising become an option? Well, we do. Fr we we started franchising very okay. early okay. Um, because it was a means to grow without you know having to raise capital, and that okay. was you know my brother and I uh, you know hemmed and hawed a lot over franchising because I didn't really want to franchise because I was really afraid if we just franchise this to anyone, it would like really dilute the experience and it, you know, it wouldn't feel as special and we couldn't control the experience. And, you know, my brother kind of got me, you know, comfortable with it and that we, we ended up just franchising to a handful of like people we knew very well who knew would like take care of the brand. And, and that was a means to grow very early without having to raise more money in those early days. Um, so we, you know, we've really gone back and forth over the years. So we have about, uh, 20 franchise. Wow. Okay. 30. Ashley's telling me. So you're controlling, um, you're actually operating majority of your stores then. We are. Wow. Yeah, we, we are. And you know, I mean, I could make an argument for both sides on franchising and not franchising. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a lot. <laughs> so what does 2018 look like in um, your, in your vision? Well, in we, the roadmap? we will get, we will hit a hundred stores this year. So, you know, we're on track to open about 20, 
give or take wow. more stores this year. I mean, we're in very high growth mode right now. Yeah. And, you know, we do have, you know, we, we have, someone said to me the other day that like driver is like a well-oiled machine right now. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, it, it, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it, it is certainly more than it used to be. And we, we do know, you know, we do know how to make it, the trains run and make it work. It just doesn't always, you know, happen that way. But, but yeah, so we will, we will hit a hundred stores this year. I mean, you know, another huge avenue of growth for us is our product line, which we have about 3000 points of distribution between Sephora, Ulta, Nordstrom, Bloomingdale's. And we're actually, I'm going to Australia on Saturday because we're opening in Sephora, Australia. Nice. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's about 36% of the overall business. So that's a really you know, big focus for the company right now too, in addition to opening stores. So, so it's really interesting about the dry bar model is that one, it started as a scissorless, essentially salon, still scissorless. Okay. So it's no color. All right, cool. So scissorless salon, which was only going to be one shop for you in Brentwood. Now you rolled out into 92 locations and then you implemented a membership model. So I'd like you to go into when exactly the membership model took root and how that's affected your growth. And then also when you decided to introduce your own product line. So we started the membership out of the gate, okay. but it's evolved, the membership program. And, you know, I, we, you know, I think that's one of those things that we're always trying to kind of get right. And we keep on, you know, trying to like everything. I mean, I think that's part of our success too, is like, you kind of always paying attention to what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong and what's working and what's not working. And we're constantly like analyzing all of that stuff. But, um, you know, the membership program is a great it is a great avenue of growth and guaranteed revenue. Um, and we've, we've changed it over the years to make it more appealing to the customer. So it's, it's always been there. It's just morphed into different things. Um, and what was your other question about the product line? So the product line launched about four years ago. And when we, I feel like we were at like maybe store three or four, I was like, I think we need our own products because I was using kind of a mishmash of products from a bunch of other different brands that were great brands, but not very focused on exactly what we were doing, which obviously is blowouts and wanting blowouts to last as long as possible. And we didn't like want a lot of other things. We wanted very, you know, products that were created just for great blowouts, making them last that weren't too heavy. And so I started to try to develop a product line kind of on my own and trying to talk to different labs who, you know, we were so small then that they wouldn't really talk to us. And, um, one of our investors and actually who's on our board, Janet Gerwich, who started Laura Mercier cosmetics. We, when we were raising money through private equity, she is, you know, like I said, now on our board, and she said to me, like, we were being, we were being kind of approached by L'Oreal and Living Proof and different brands to co-brand a product line with those companies, which was, you know, very humbling and intoxicating. To, those are <laughs> massive brands. But Janet was like, you know, whatever, even if you don't take our money or Castanea, which we did, um, do your own product line. Don't do it with somebody else. And that was like some mm. great advice. And, and then we, you know, Castanea made a pretty sizable, um, Oh my God, the word investment. Thank you. (laughs) In us and Janet came aboard and she really did open doors for me because I couldn't get labs to talk to me. And I, and she had all these great relationships. She introduced us to Sephora and really helped us, you know, which again is just like proof to like having a great network and people who can help you and open doors for you. And, And she did just that. And that, that was when we started the product line and we launched 
you know, with, I think like 12 or 13 SKUs. And, you know, she really was instrumental in helping get that, you know, that first launch off the ground. And so she's been a mentor to you. She, yeah, she definitely has. And she, she was, you know, would go to those meetings with me and, you know, knew who to talk to and the right questions to ask. And yeah. So jumping into the experience of dry bar, I'm sure it's very uncommon that you have unsatisfied customers. Very uncommon. But <laughs> well, how do you how do you handle customer satisfaction? If somebody's like, no, you just didn't get my hair right, like I'm not happy. Yeah. How do you handle that? Yeah, I mean, it definitely happens. And, you know, it's also a very subjective business. And what I've learned is that, you know, what one person loves in a stylist, another person like can't stand, which is <laughs> makes it really hard. But, you know, I think our biggest goal is, and our parents, my brother and I's parents had their own business growing up. So we saw my parents bend over backwards for customers, no matter what, the customer was always right. The customer was king. I mean, I grew up in that world. And so instead of my brother. And so that's always been our philosophy. Like, you know, whether or not I agree with you and think your hair looks looks good or not good or whatever, we just want to make it right, you know? And so that's, that's the experience. And, you know, we, if everyone's doing their job, I mean, that's what's happening. It's like, there's no question to ask. If you don't, if you don't like your blowout, we're going to figure out a way to fix it and make this right. And that is, and, and we want the feedback. We want to know if, you know, I would much rather you complain to us then, you know, just tell your friends and never tell anybody and never come back and all of that. And I think that that's an interesting insight. And I find it so fascinating how many businesses don't pay attention to that. And, and as a consumer, I'm, I'm just very sensitive to customer service and the way I'm treated when I walk into places. And the, and the fact that you're not treated great at so many places drives me crazy. And so it's a, it's a really big driver for us in trying to create that experience of making people feel feel really good. I mean, because that's part of our success. I mean, obviously we're making women look good, but ultimately we're making them feel good. And if we're not nice to them, it doesn't feel very good, you know? So, so that, so that creating that customer experience and, and that, you know, that great, like we will make this right for you no matter what is, is a huge pillar for us. So what I find interesting is that you started this with the passion of doing hair, of having great hair, and now you're doing it for so many women, but you're more behind the scenes. So how much of your time is actually still getting behind and styling? Not very much. (laughs) But, you know, what I'm, you know, what I am, what I do spend a lot of my time on, um, in addition to things like this, is, you know, making how-to videos. You know, I still lead product development and that is a, that's very near and dear to my heart to, you know, develop new products. I mean, there's just so many types of hair and things that we're trying to achieve as hairdressers and, you know, hearing from our stylists what they want. And so we're always working on new products. And that's like, that's a really big driver for me. And, and teaching what, you know, I released a book last year that was, you know, the dry bar guide to good hair for all, which is basically a how, a how to book on getting a great blowout. So, you know, there's, there's, there's just so much to do in this yeah. space. And, you know, there's so many women um, who don't have access to a dry bar, even though we have 92, and that does seem like so many, you know, there's, there's a lot more women that don't have access to dry bar. So, you know, we constantly get asked questions about, you know, how to take care of your hair, how to achieve this look. And, and so the how-to videos and, you know, c- creating that kind of content is, is a lot of what I do. Nice. Okay. So we have limited time. So I want to go into a couple spitfire questions oh, here. Okay. So words you live by. Um, words I live by treat others the way you want to be treated. Cool. Who inspires you? 
Uh, everybody. <laughs> I feel like I'm, so, I'm inspired by different things and different people all the time. And, it, and it, I always I get asked that question a lot. And I feel like it's always something different that like catches me about like someone or something or, you know, I think lately I've been very inspired by my kids. I mean, my kids are at this, I have a 13 year old who's like going on 25 (laughs) and I'm like at that weird place where I remember as a kid, like where my son's like teaching me things about things and that's weird, (laughs) but inspiring, you know, and I like, I love seeing the world through his eyes. Nice. Uh, favorite book. Oh gosh. It's been a long time since I read a book. Um, actually, I did. I just did. You know, I listen to books on tape. Okay. Also, so, so like, I'm not like yeah. reading them because I'm usually in my car. But Radical Candor. Okay. Which I just recently read. And then, what about a podcast for inspiration? Um, probably How I Built This. Okay. Yeah, it's a great nice. podcast. Awesome. That's our show for this week. Thanks again for tuning in to the Ivy Podcast by Ivy, the Social University. We are the Grad School for Life, and our mission is to spark world-changing collaborations by introducing you to the most inspiring people, ideas, and experiences in the world. Check us out at ivy.com for life-changing advice and gatherings, and the foremost thought leaders shaping our world today. For more information about the Ivy community, and to find out about events happening near you, visit ivy.com and email us via membership at ivy.com. Dream big and stay inspired. This episode of the Ivy Podcast is presented by Smartwater. What makes Smartwater so smart? It starts with a little inspiration from the clouds, nature's pure source of water. Smartwater copies those puffy white clouds in creating vapor distilled purity, pure perfection. Smartwater also has electrolytes, which helps give it that clean, crisp taste. Clouds will always be the inspiration, since the water is vapor distilled for purity. Purity you can taste, hydration you can feel. Choose Smart Water or Smart Water Sparkling today and at your local retailer.